tens of millions of families with Alzheimer's disease and dementia all over the world, including our family. We are Alls in the Fam. I'm Alan Fair. And I'm Polly Fair Noise. We're siblings, we are parents, but we're also caregivers. This is our podcast. This is our support group. Welcome to our family. Alzheimer's sucks, but this family lives, laughs, and learns as we fight for a cure. Welcome. Welcome to Alls in the Fam. Alan here with the original loves of my life, my three sisters, Polly, Bonnie, and Tracy. How you doing, ladies? Good. Good morning. I, I still want to say guys uh, as as this pronoun, which you know I, I have. There's so much so much to unlearn, but I almost said, "What's up, guys?" Uh, and then ladies sounds weird too. What's up, my sisters? What's up, team? <laughs> Siblings. Hello, Sibs. Yeah. I say guys all the time. Yeah. I do too. Guys is the plural, I think. Yeah. I, hopefully, maybe that one can be okay, because I don't mean I, I would like to see you as, as dudes or anything. But um, moving on. Uh, I identify as she and her. Okay. Good. Yep. He, he <laughs> him. Um, so today, welcome to Alls in the Fam. Today, we're going to talk about increasingly troubling signs and behaviors that we saw in our mom, Carmen, in the early phases of her dementia. So she was diagnosed in 2013. We started noticing troubling signs in 2010. So we're somewhere in the, the earlier part of, of these years. And today we're gonna talk about the progression of troubling behaviors and increasing concerns that we started having as our mom continued to live alone. So all of us went to school, graduated from college, and generally speaking, moved out of the house in which we grew up in. So our mother continued to live in this five-bedroom house in which we grew up. And uh, at this point, she's probably in her um, late 60s and early 70s. And um, and has lived there alone for um, for a few years now. Um, and this wasn't an all at once thing, right? We tried for a long time to convince her to move closer to us, um, or move in with one in us, uh, move in with one of us. But our mom, wow, Carmen was stubborn. Is stubborn, yeah. right? She she didn't she didn't want to do that, and she was adamant about wanting to stay in this old five bedroom house. So this is the story of how we managed that early period where we knew something wasn't quite right. And this house was proving to be a problem and and what we did about it. So why don't we start out with your perspective, Polly? Yeah. So you're right. Mom wasn't just stubborn. She was feisty and independent and she really wanted to keep her independence at a time when, well, first little things happened. I'll just start with that. Um, she did like bizarre things. She started unplugging everything. So the TV set she'd unplug, the microwave, the coffee maker, the cable box for the TV, um, everything. Then she'd turn off everything. Um, she started, light bulbs would go out. She wouldn't replace those, just weird stuff. And I'm like, why are you unplugging everything? And she's like, oh, those use electricity, which I guess she's right. But every time she unplugged the cable box, then she'd plug it back in to watch TV and 
no TV. That was troubling. Um, she was wearing weird clothes. Um, they, uh, she found some of Alan's old uh, warm-up sweatpants from high school. Um, at this point, they were probably, I don't know how many years old, 10 years old. I graduated and, uh, high school in 93, and we're talking circa 2010 through 2013. So, yeah, you know, we got two decades of, of <laughs> crustiness. I, I'm, I'm glad that she never wore my old wrestling singlet, because that would have been a lot to deal with <laughs> on a visit that, to mom. <laughs> um, you did yeah. wear Tracy's, but that was Tracy's uh, Chi-Chi's shirt but that's that right was before she had any issues she liked <laughs> when that. Tracy was a waitress at Chi Chi's and she had a special <laughs> shirt that's so funny yeah so she would I'd go see her and I'd be like where where'd you get those little boy or young man sweatpants and she'd be like what you know it just wearing weird clothes but it was nothing dangerous I mean she had everything covered um you know little things um she didn't take the trash out she probably should have <laughs> So, I don't how know. About, how about you, Bonnie? What so, do you remember about wanna, this time? I just want to announce that I wear my high schoolers' sweatpants when it's cold out. They're very comfy and broken in. So, there you go. I'm more like my mother than I like to admit. Um, so, some of the things I noticed were that, you know, she would tell us she went on a walk. And then, you know, two hours later, she was on a walk again. At this point, she always had her phone with her, so that was fine, but it was a lot of walking, like a lot. She wouldn't remember that she had gone in the morning, and we started working about worrying a little bit about dehydration, but, you know, she's always been an exerciser. She did jazzercise and yoga when we were younger, so we knew it was important to her, so it was concerning something you've kind of filed in the back of your head, but didn't get overly concerned about. Um she was really ruled by the calendar at that point. Uh, and I think one of the things with our mom overall is that she accommodated herself pretty well. So, you know, she knew that on her calendar on, on Thursdays, she would go to the haircuttery on this day. She went to um, take the trash out, like you were saying. And if it wasn't on the calendar, she didn't go or she would go twice. So there was that piece and then just the continuance of, oh, I haven't seen anyone in so long. Um, and I would then hang up and say, didn't you go see mom yesterday? And Polly would say, or Tracy would say, or you would say, yes, you know, I, I went to see her yesterday. I fed her. Um, and just sort of that, finding old food around, things like that, that were not terrible and really not that far out of line with who she is, but just different. Sure. How about you, Tracy? What do you remember? I remember going into her house and seeing little sticky notes all over the kitchen and they would have unusual quotes on them. And it was just something she had never done before. And I thought that was so interesting. And some of them were great quotes, um, but it was a very new, different behavior and they would kind of be stuck in unusual places. Um, and it was just something completely new, like I said. Yeah, I remember I'd visit when the kids were really young, maybe even before my daughter Ava was born we'd go visit and 
she would say the same things over and over again. I mean, I'm visiting from New York. I don't need to sit in my old childhood home and eat there. You know, I'll take my mom out to lunch and get her anything she wants and pay the bill and say, thanks for everything you've, you've done. But she would say, Alan, I don't have that much here in the house to feed you and the kids. I've got frozen chicken and frozen popsicles because I, I live all alone. I say, yeah, I know, mom, we'll go eat in town. Yeah, well, uh, Alan, I, you guys must be hungry and I can't, I, I don't have much to feed you because I live alone. So I, have, I, I go to Costco and I buy this chicken that I freeze and I have some coconut popsicles. Why don't you have a coconut popsicle? <laughs> as, as discussed, I came here to take you to lunch and you know, same thing over and over again. And that was this running theme for years. I, I don't have much food here's the frozen food that I do have because I live alone. You see? And like, yes, yes, I see. So it's definitely just little, little troubling signs. Um, so at first, the three of you, I, I have always lived in New York throughout this process. Um, but at first, all of you were kind of on a schedule where each of you would take turns driving out to check on mom. Maybe at first it wasn't every single day. Um, and so let's talk about what made us realize we needed to visit her more and provide more care on a regular basis. What, what were some of those moments? So we were, we were doing a once a week, right? I would go, Bonnie would go once a week. Tracy would go once a week. Just acknowledging it was a lot further of a drive from Bonnie and Tracy uh, to get all the way out to mom's house. Um, I was closer. I think I ended up going two to three times a week. And eventually it became somebody had to get out there every day. And some of the things I noticed were she would turn off her furnace. Um, she was always messing with any gadgets. It, and so it would be, say, Washington, D.C. area summers. The DMV summers are typically 95 degrees, hot and humid, chance of afternoon thunder showers. Inside her house, it would be 100 degrees or at least 95, humid as could be, and um, if she didn't turn on her air conditioner. So she's like, oh, my air conditioner doesn't work anyway. I just have a fan in my room. And I'd be like, mom, you can't do that. But worried about her... I think it's difficult to live that way anyway. Um, but one of the things I saw was she would take like a steak. She would buy these frozen steaks at a, at the store and have it in the freezer. And then she'd put it on the counter to defrost. And I would come and see her and I'd be like, mom, it's so hot in your house. Why did you turn the air conditioning off? I had just turned it on the day before. She'd be like, oh, it's fine. I'm fine. Um, really worried about dehydration at this point, but that there'd be this piece of meat sitting on the counter defrosting and it would be room temperature, which was at that point, 90, 95 degrees. And I'd be like, what's this? She's like, oh, I'm going to have that for dinner. I'm like, let's go out. to let's go out to lunch right now. And she'd be like, okay, I'll just put this back in the fridge or the freezer. And I was like, how many times has she done that that we didn't know? So that was a real concern. Uh, another concern was, um, you know, she wasn't doing laundry. There was no evidence she was 
getting laundry done. She didn't really smell that great. Um, she, I found dishwasher detergent in her, in her bathroom. She was, I was like, what are you doing with this? She's like, oh, I just washing things with it. She was, thought it was like for her hands. She did at this time have a very itchy rash on her forearms. I suspect she was using that. So, and she just wasn't, I mean, you have to understand our mom, when I talked about her wearing Allen sweatpants, maybe it was the culture of her time, but she was usually dressed to the nines. She got up, she got dressed, she put on clothes that were hers, that fit well, that looked nice, that were clean, and it just fell apart. That's all. She if was, you look at all our newborn baby photos, you see all of us hours old. And there she is holding us in the hospital and her hair looks impeccable and immaculate. And we're like, yeah. how do you look that good after just giving birth? And she was like, oh my God, I had someone come and do my hair. That's yeah. what you did back then. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Went to, she went into labor and she went to get her hair done. That's, yeah. That was her. She had a special leaving the hospital outfit. Yes. So, I don't know, Bon, you, you and Tracy definitely saw things. Bonnie, why don't you tell us what you saw? So for me, you know, one of the things about there's two things here. So the first thing is that we started being guided a little bit by the medical professionals who were telling us, you know, more and, and what they felt she could do and when we needed to intervene a little bit more. So that's, that's a piece, you know, we started getting outside guidance versus just each other. Um, some of the things that really started concerning me was realizing that mom was operating solely off of her calendar and her watch. So if, if she did not, eat or notice between the hours of 11 and two, then she assumed that she had already eaten and wouldn't. And so she lost some weight at that time. So I would go over at, let's say 11 and I would say, oh, you know, do you want to go grab something to eat? And she would say, oh no, she would look at her watch first and then say, no, I'm not hungry yet. Or if it was two o'clock, she would look at her watch and say, I already had lunch and you could tell you know, there was evidence that she had not eaten, but she was e eating based on the time. I eat a really big lunch and I eat it at 1.30. And so if it was three o'clock, she assumed that she had eaten it and would not want to go out again. So we started timing it. And then the other piece at this point was we started realizing we needed to monitor our medications. So we would have to go and literally count her pills. Is she taking them? We would have to leave her notes that said, you know, you take this one in the morning and this one in the afternoon. And then we got her the pill case, but there was more and more management that needed to be done. She, she doesn't like to take medications. And she did have that, you know, she still says all the time, if you ask her outside of her facility, you know, I live alone, very prideful with that. So, um, you know, doing all this and trying to keep her in her home was our way of honoring what she what she wanted at that time. And, you know, we were trying to really give her that piece of dignity that she wanted. So, um, so that was it. I think, I, and then Polly and Teresa, you remember, you would go into her cabinet and we would find these weird medications where she was, you know, who knew how long she was taking them, you know, dietary supplements, um, all kinds of things. So we had no way of knowing what else she was doing to herself that might affect her health. Yeah. She was taking an, uh, like an anticholinergic, as I think the way you um, 
pronounce it, that she was not supposed to take. So you're not supposed to give older people um, Benadryl because it can cause some mental confusion and even hallucinations. So she, we would find Benadryl in there. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. How about you, Tracy? Uh for me, I remember a lot about her driving. Um, she was kind of an, I don't want to say an aggressive driver, but, you know, she drove a lot and she would um, get very annoyed if someone was driving too slow. And, um, you know, she was a good driver and I really wanted her to keep driving. And the one place that she drove to the most, of course, was Polly's house, because that was the closest. And she never liked to drive on the Beltway. So as good of a driver as she was for the driveway or for the highway where we live, meaning 495, the Capitol Beltway, right in Montgomery County, where we live, it's the scariest part. So there are a lot of people that we know that do not like driving on the Beltway. So that was always her thing but she knew how to drive to Polly's house. And I desperately wanted her to keep doing that because it made my life so much easier. So it was a selfish thing. Um, but I could tell she was becoming more and more hesitant to do that. And then I knew from Polly that she had called her a few times and just admitted that she was lost, um, which, just even imagining that, I remember Polly telling me, I was like, wow, for mom to, you know, have to call and, you know, kind of admit that she was lost somewhere must have been so hard for her and she must have been so scared. Um, but again, for me, I just wanted her to at least be able to keep driving to Polly's house. If she could just go there, that would be so great. So I remember... I was taking her to see Chloe in a play and Chloe was in eighth grade. So this was in 2014 and um, it was just going to make my life so much easier if she could go to Polly's and I could pick her up there and take her to Virginia to see Chloe. And I knew she hadn't done it in a while. And I knew that Polly and Bonnie were growing increasingly uncomfortable with her doing that but I just really wanted her to do it that day and and she did um but that was the last time like I knew it took a lot out of her I knew she you know I sensed when I got there that she was really stressed and um and that was it I just knew that those days were over and it was it was hard it was sad yeah yeah, you see the amount of effort and how hard they had to try and probably felt the sense of pressure that we were putting on her too, you know, was aware of that and was probably a real struggle for her, for her to do that. Um, and, and gosh, just could you imagine being in the middle of driving and not remember why you're driving or where you're going? I mean, just how how scary and and awful and then to know that that was our mom that was going through that and it's just it's just such an awful disease um so what i what really crystallized it for me was her relationship with drinking alcohol changed um our our father 
um, wrestled with alcoholism his his whole life, and um, they they separated in the the early eighties. Um, so our mom really didn't drink much at all. I think largely as a result of that experience with our dad, her her husband. And so the only my only memory of her ever really drinking was if she was having trouble sleeping from time to time, she'd buy Mad Dog 2020 and just have this little <laughs> bottle of it, which is so disgusting. But I think she was so uneducated about it that part of our, our father's struggles was he would not only drink a lot, but drink really, really cheap inexpensive alcohol so mad dog was probably she probably didn't know that there was something she could get that tastes better and you know maybe had less sugar in it um and and so forth but she didn't drink much and she was very anti-drinking and then all of a sudden she's drinking liberally and you can kind of tell oh wow mom's mom's drunk right now and you know and then she would eat a lot too so she's drunk and has like some whipped cream on the side of her face literally doesn't even know and, and care. So the action of drinking and then seeing her drunk were just new things. And we started realizing that, yeah, she, you know, if it's not in front of her, she's not going to do it. But once there, she doesn't realize that she's drinking liberally and, and a lot. Um, uh, so maybe, I don't know, maybe that was a good thing. You know, she had a really, uh, aggressive stance against alcohol and maybe that helped her cope a little bit in the, in the beginning, but that was, that was a big moment yeah. for me. I think Alan, the, the, the biggest thing about that, I forgot, but um, is mom was very careful. She would have maybe one glass in a social situation, maybe two, not any other time, but it was that complete no knowledge of how much she drank before. So in a social situation a family get together here was our mom who really you know she'd have a drink to celebrate maybe a glass of champagne but was suddenly drinking way too much and also eating dessert which was a huge sign yeah. <laughs> she would like normally turn down cake or desserts or have only the little tiniest slice um suddenly she'd have two because she forgot she had the first one um so yeah just forgot about that yeah that's a, it's i was just gonna say it's so interesting to listen to everybody's observations and think yeah you know what the alcohol is definitely huge and it wasn't even it's been a long time that she's been um, having more than a glass and using it as you said alan if, at first just medicinally to help her sleep and you know, that kind of thing. And then it became very important. One of the reasons we had to go out there was if she didn't have her bottle of wine, at that point, she had upgraded to her gallo. And, um, and where and Mike would actually go and he was he would buy her some bottles because he was, you know, so mortified. Appalled by having gallo in the yes, house. Yes, he was. He would find ones that she liked and make sure she was stocked with it because but at that point at home, you know, she had that little tumbler that she liked and said she wasn't. But in social situations at our house, especially, she would forget that that she had which glass was hers and yeah. um, that she had had some. So that interesting me. how we all kind of remember different things. Yeah. That reminds me of showing up at her house and finding like wine stains on the wall going up the stairs. She had obviously like fell and spilled. 
and it splashed up there and you wonder like, huh, was that the second mm-hmm. glass? Cause it started <laughs> happening more and more. That's yeah. Yeah. Good yeah. point. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think that for anyone listening, if any of these early signs or things that you might be seeing in a loved one, an older parent, um, this would be a reason to uh, take them to the doctor and start going deeper and looking into mental health and, and dementia. And as we've said in subsequent episodes, the sooner you start the journey, the more you're protecting yourself from being in control of the key decisions that you'll need to make as a caregiver one day. Um, so I will end by saying that I sure am glad that we get to be a team as caregivers so together. Important. Yeah. Thanks, Alan. Love you guys. Talk Love to you, you soon. Love you. Thanks for listening to Alls in the Fam. In the fight against Alzheimer's and dementia, we are all family. Find us at Alls in the Fam on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and on our website, allsinthefampodcast.com. We appreciate you clicking that subscribe button on Apple, Google, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast catcher may be. Alzheimer's sucks, but we are in it together. We are Alls in the Family. Talk soon.